I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Daniel. He had stage three acute non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Let's talk about it. Um, well, uh, we're, uh, we're really stoked to be sitting here with Daniel Stolfi, um, and we're going to be talking about cancer, but we're going to be also talking about a couple things that, uh, that I really, I really love and I'm really passionate. I feel like you guys, uh, really also love is, uh, comedy. We all love comedy. We all love comedy. Actors. We all love actors. You love, we all love actors. Love them. Right? I got an idea. Especially our resident actor. Because you love me. What if we And named... so if you love me, you love an <coughs> actor. What if we named this podcast Comedy, Acting, and Cancer? We don't even have to record it now. <laughs> Thanks, Daniel. Um... Yeah, hey, we'll see you later. Hit that red button. <laughs> uh, Daniel, uh, thanks for being on the show, dude. We're, we're excited to chat with you. Uh, give, us a little, give us a little insight into Daniel's life. Um, uh, you know... The acting thing, you've been doing that for, for the majority of your life. It's very, very exciting, very cool. You know, again, we love actors here. So give us your like origin story. All right. Uh, you know, born and raised in Guelph, Ontario, Guelph, Ontario native, um, and uh, moved to Toronto after graduating from the University of Guelph theater program and was like, I'm going to just try to dominate the comedy scene and, you know, just do anything I can to get my hands on comedy. So I started joining these like sketch comedy troops. I didn't even care what they were about. I was just like, I just want to be a, be on stage and be a part of it. Uh, I did Second City. I did, you know, doing improvisation classes, all that kind of stuff. Stand up. I'd do my five minutes. I'd wait for three hours and do five minutes of stage time. I was just just going for it. Um, <laughs> and, um, yeah, like, doing well. I was actually Captain Morgan for uh, for two years, <laughs> the rum guy. No uh, way. <laughs> wait, did yeah. you just go around to, like, bars and, like, give out, like, uh, yeah. like tasters and, and that That's type of thing? exactly what I did. Yeah, Fuck I went yeah. all over Ontario. I actually went up to Vancouver as well, dressed up as, you know, Captain Morgan, full swag. And I'd go out and give out Captain Morgan's original spice rum and cola. Drink responsibly. <laughs> just, yeah, just encouraging binge drinking. <laughs> oh, this, yeah. <laughs> this is great. Uh, um, you know, I, I know... I was going to say, I know that we're here to talk about cancer, but are we also here to talk about your hip problems from like lifting one leg all the time? Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, the <laughs> one leg up, <laughs> on the hip. Extremely that was very, that was a very serious pose. I had to do it right. It was the left hand, left hip. <laughs> um, but yeah, I did that. And then while I was doing uh, that gig um, and other things, obviously, I was I was diagnosed with, uh, with lymphoma. I was diagnosed mm. with cancer. How old were you at the time of the diagnosis? I was 25. What what was it that, um, I mean, I'm guessing you didn't just walk into your doctor's office and they were like, Hey, by the way, Daniel, you have lymphoma. Like, what was it that, that was sort of, what were some of the indicators that, that led to your diagnosis? 
Well, uh, funny, not funny enough, but I, my family was being like, Hey, you know, you're losing a lot of weight. And I just kept kind of, I was like, no, nah, I just look good. I'm chalking well, it up to, uh, yeah. <laughs> to a fucking pirate. What do you think? I'm a pirate. <laughs> I work a lot, you know, yeah. it was like that kind of thing, you know, going to the gym. I was just like, I'm just really busy. Uh, but I didn't think much of that. It, it ended up just starting out as a cold and I, I thought it was the flu or a fever. It really just felt like all symptomatically like that. And you know, then my chest started to get a little sore and I, I started waking up with night sweats and I was like, well, this is kind of strange. Maybe my heater is on too hot. It was the middle of February, you know, too many comforters and all that kind of stuff. So started making up all these things. You know, I went to the doctor, they checked me out. He was like, it's a sinus infection. Get out of here. You know, <laughs> so I was like, okay. Uh, a couple of weeks later, it just, just kept getting worse and worse. And, um, I mean, the doctor sent me home with antibiotics, so I thought, okay, well, I'll be good. And uh, I got to a point where I could, it was like a Friday night, and I was like, I could go back to the walk-in clinic and get this checked out or go hang out with my sketch comedy troupe. And I I, I made the decision to like, I was like, I, I got to go, I got to go back to the walk-in. So I went back in. It was a different doctor, and he was way more like serious about it. At the moment, I told him all my symptoms again, you know, night sweats and the chest and uh, pain and and everything that's going on. He was like, uh, yeah, I, you know, your lungs f sound like they're full of fluid. And he didn't say that, but you could see it on his face where he was just like, there's something up. He said, mm -hmm. he's like, go to emergency right now. Like go to the x-ray and ultrasound clinic. I'm going to send you there. They're going to do their tests. They rushed me. It closed at five o'clock. I had to get in. They rushed me through and you could just see everybody who was like doing the tests. They were like, so what brought you in today? And I'm like, oh, I don't know, you know, just not feeling great. Doctors told me to come in and they're like, okay. And then they're like, go to emergency right now. As soon as I went to emergency, they checked out the x-ray. They're like, there's a huge mass of something in the middle of your chest. It's about the size of a grapefruit. Oh it's God. like sitting on your heart and your left lung is completely full of fluid. Oh my God. And immediately they were like, it's, it's lymphoma. We think it's lymphoma. Like we'll have to do a biopsy and some more tests to make sure we know exactly what it is. But it was just like within hours, I, I was I was going from am I going to go hang out with my sketch comedy troupe to y you have this like life <laughs> altering and life threatening uh, illness. Um, and you know, obviously, I was in denial, and I was like, "Well, it could be something else." You know, they have to mm -hmm. do the tests first. They have to, they have to do all the yeah. biopsies and stuff first, and then I'll know. But the biopsy came back and they're like stage three, non-Hodgkin's T lymphoblastic lymphoma. We got to get you in for treatment right away. So I started, you know, treatment maybe a week or 10 days later. And Whoa. For, 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 what was it for like? folks, just for folks like that, that may be new to the podcast, haven't heard many episodes. I mean, we've covered uh, lymphoma a number of times, non-Hodgkin's Hodgkin's. Um, but can you kind of like walk us through you know, stage three acute non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. What like, is, what, how, like, how does that, what does that specifically mean? I like how you asked that question, Jared, as if like we remember as if, too. Uh, well, I know, I know uh, exactly what it means. Exactly I mean, what it is. Stage three is like, you know, it's the, it's the, the stage, stage that is. two and four. That's right. It's, yeah, it's after yeah. two. Uh, acute is like, you know, it's very, it's now. very acute. It's, it's very, very acute. Uh, yeah. And then non-Hodgkin's is, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's not, not Hodgkin's. Hodgkin's. Yeah. And it's That's lymphoma. Right. So, so I, I mean, I know, but I just want to hear from Daniel, you know, it's, it's Daniel's episode. So. Well, the way I, I understood it after all this time was that stage three means it hasn't quite progressed to the bones 
yet. Yeah, so yeah. if it gets into the bones and other places, then it's uh, stage four and you're looking at a different kind of uh, situation. But uh, basically I had tumors throughout my lymphatic system, mm-hmm. but uh, it was through my T cells, I guess. And that they found multiple things, one on my chest, one on my armpit, one on my, my collarbone, one on my groin. And I remember when they told me this, I had only felt it for the first time when they told me, like, I never knew that, that, that it was, was there. It is a blood, it is a blood related cancer as well. Like, Mm -hmm. um, uh, so it attacks your immune system. Um, but yeah, there are, there are like 30 different kinds of lymphomas. So it gets very complicated. Like there's B cell and T cell. And I'll be honest, I never really knew the difference between, you know, one or the other. I remember at one point Hodgkins and non-Hodgkins was considered the, like one was the good one. One was the bad one. There's a Seinfeld episode about that. <laughs> yeah. And, and I remember my mom asking, you know, is this the, the good one or the bad one? They're like, at this point, it used to be the bad one. Non-Hodgkins used to be the bad one, I think. And they're like, but at this point, they're just both equally the same, like, you know. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. In the name of equality. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there really is no good cancer. I, I wanted to ask, um, I was curious about that, because like, you mentioned a couple of times about potentially going out with your comedy troupe that night, but then deciding to go to the, to the doctor's office mm. and then to the hospital. Um, I, man, I just, I, I really can't imagine what it would be like to, think you're going out for a re- potentially going out for a regular night out and then ending up in the hospital and getting a, a, a not direct diagnosis, but having somebody say the word lymphoma to you. And at 25, when you think that you're fucking invincible. invincible yeah. Um, what, like, what was yeah. that like? Well, uh, you know, it was like, I didn't know that that was the last time for a long time that I wasn't going to be able to just make that decision to be like, I'm going to go hang out with my, my buddies, you know, like every weekend, every week for the next two years was, I was in bed at 9 PM. You know what I mean? While my friends were still going to weddings and mm. and going out and, and having a good time and living life like they normally would. Again, 25 years old, you're, you know, you're figuring things out, but you're also enjoying a lot of those, you know, fun aspects of life uh, that I just couldn't do physically. I just wasn't able to do it my immune system was shot. So, you know, like, just like COVID, you know, you can't go out and start hanging with people and doing all that kind of stuff. Um, and physically I just, I was a mess. Like I, the chemo really, really, uh, uh, did a number on me where, you know, yeah, you go from this going to the gym every day, 185 pounds, you know, (laughs) playing soccer, athletic, you know, uh, top of the world, cock of the lock, you know, mm-hmm. invincible, like you said, and then just boom, you're an 85 year old man, uh, you know, almost Ooh. overnight. And, uh, yeah. As, as a 25 year old, um, you know, like, I mean, getting a cancer diagnosis at any age is fucked up and hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but we know through talking with a number of people that like young adult cancer diagnoses are are um are really like unique experience for for people with that that go through cancer um it's oftentimes like really isolating because you know you feel like you are you, you know going in for these like treatments of chemo or whatever you feel like you're almost out of place it feels like it should be 
I mean, like you kind of mentioned there, like it should be the 80 year olds in there that you're seeing. And, and you, there's almost this like this feeling of, of really um, being alone and, and not seen. And, and I say that based on a lot of the conversations that we've had on this podcast and, and the work that I've done with, um, with athletes for cancer, which is like a, you know, cancer um, camp um, organization, but uh, specifically for young adults with cancer. Um, so I'm, I'm curious, like as a 25 year old who, who, who gets diagnosed with this, um, living in a city that, you know, is, is still like relatively new, it, it, you know, it wasn't where you were brought up. Um, what kind of support systems did you have? And, and also like, how did that feel? Like, did it feel isolating? Were you one of those young adult cancer, uh, um, patients that had that feeling of like, fuck, like I, this, this isn't, this doesn't make sense. This shouldn't be me. I'm too young. That kind of thing. Oh yeah. A, a thousand percent. I mean, I was, I would look around the chemotherapy or like the oncology uh, unit at Sunnybrook hospital, which is where I was treated. And there was nobody, nobody even close to my age there. I'd even ask my doctors like, Hey, any, anybody coming through, you know, that, <laughs> you know, I might be able to talk to relate to. And they'd be like, well, you can go to this. There's like this after four or five o'clock there, there's these groups that you can like go to, but it was, and there's, and there's no, like, I'm not trying to be like, it wasn't a good group or everything, but it was usually like older women going through breast cancer or something yeah. like that. Mm, yeah, and, totally. And I just was like, well, I can't really relate to that. And also I have to get, I have to beat rush hour traffic. My parents have to drive me back home <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah. after my chemo. So uh, I, I won't be able to do that. And I didn't see anything. There was nothing, absolutely nothing for, for um, young adults. And all I really wanted was to just talk to somebody who understood it and was going mm. through the same thing. And it took about, I think four or five months. And eventually there was a, a patient uh, who was a couple years younger than me and he had leukemia. Um, but we were on the exact same two year chemotherapy protocol. And we, we lined up our dates and we would have these weekly <laughs> like uh, dates on Wednesdays where we we knew we were both coming in at 8 a.m., mm -hmm. do our blood work, and we would do our chemo together. And we would just chat. And I was ahead of them, right? So I was able to kind of like mm. prompt them on what might be coming down the pipeline. Um, and he would ask me questions. And, and we'd laugh about stuff like hemorrhoids and, you know, going to the bathroom and just preparation like, H does feel good on the whole, yeah, yeah, no, like, you know, can you get an erection? No. Okay, Ooh. cool. Like it was like, we were, we were, and that was like my only out, outlet at the time that he was like, if like, it was amazing that I found him, he was mm. a game changer. And how, team. how important was that relationship mm -hmm. um, for you? Honestly, it was everything. I, 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 uh, it, again, one of the biggest things for me was like, where it are the other cancer patients my age going yeah. through this? Like, who's going through two years? Like who's going, who's, who's getting beat up this hard and, 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 and are they feeling the same way that I'm feeling, mm -hmm. which is, you know, obviously frustrated and uh, losing hope, you know, like <laughs> what can I cling on to? Is there anybody who can like help me, uh, you know, through this? And all I needed was just somebody to, to talk to. And so it was such a huge huge thing that we could both be like, okay, so that's normal, right? Like that's, yeah, you know, like, uh, oh, you're taking blood thinners now. Yeah. 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 Okay, cool. Like, uh, so like as long as we're on the same trajectory here, 
you had that sense of like of hope and that sense of like okay you can you can keep battling through this thing mm-hmm. i imagine too like having um e- even sort of like having that that just being ahead of him and being able to sort of mentor him and guide him through probably gives you this like sense of purpose to yeah. where you can you know cuz like i imagine that when you're you're focusing on your treatment and just getting better that things like acting and comedy sort of you know have to have to fall by the wayside a little bit and it's probably hard to find some purpose in your life during that time other than the you know the the obvious purpose of of just trying to get better but um having that like person that you can kind of sit with in times and like be a mentor to a little bit and answer questions and bounce things bounce things off of i imagine that's like really mm-hmm. really nice to have yeah it was it was i mean and it I mean, four months or however long it was before he, he, he came around is like an eternity when you're going through day by day, you know, treatment and, and doing all that. But when he finally, like when we got together, it was like, okay, cool. Um, but yeah. And comedy and acting was like, I, I was like, I'm, I'm probably done. You know what I mean? Like I thought, I thought, yeah. oh, maybe this is a sign from the universe, just, <laughs> you know, uh, telling me that I gotta, I got I gotta, I, I gotta stop, you know? Captain Morgan isn't all that it's cracked up to be. <laughs> right, right, right. And I believe that. Um, and, um, when, you know, I, I, I suppose as you're kind of talking about developing this, like developing this friendship and finding this person that is, that you can relate to and is going through a very similar ordeal that you are would sort of help shape this. But we talked to somebody a while ago, probably a long time ago now, I can't remember who, what, what their name was, but they, they, they sort of, um, they were a linguist, I believe by education. Mm-hmm. And they talked about, um, like the way that we, the way that we use language, like different language to frame uh, it was the metaphors, cancer, the cancer experience. Yeah. Cancer metaphors. Yeah. Yeah. And the way that we sort of, the way that different people use different language to Ooh. sort of frame their experience with cancer, like Your it's a journey, journey or it's an experience <laughs> or, or it's a battle right. or it's all this stuff. And it kind of like the, the, the way in which you would like to think about your experience is sort of meaningful um, uh, because it kind of, it just, it helps you, it helps you put it all into context. What would, what did that look like for you? You know, we're, 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 were you on you know, a battle? Yeah. Were, yeah, you, were you on the, on yeah, were you on the battlefield? Were you, or were you, were you <laughs> Was like, it a were gang you, bang? What kind of cancer were you, you Frodo? Have? Were you Frodo and Samwise like trying to get to Mordor? Yeah. Like, what's the, what was the, what was the deal there? Uh, it was, it's funny. Cause I've had that conversation with, with, with people, where it's like, don't compare it to war. Basically, I yeah, heard that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, mm-hmm. like, yeah. uh, it's not war. Don't compare it to war. Uh, it's not a battle. It's a journey. It's not a. Whereas I'm like, use whatever word you yeah, want yeah. that that encompasses it for you. For me, it was it was a battle. It was a slog. It was every day. You know, just trying to get through each day. It was every minute, every hour, every you know, every every day, every week, every month. So I was just looking at that clock and trying to get through. Um, and I would compare it more to like Rocky, you know, Rocky was a huge <laughs> inspiration for me. I'm Italian. Uh, I always loved the the Rocky films. And, and so I, I was always motivated by that kind of thing where it was like, okay, every day you're getting in the ring and you are, mm. you're doing this thing and you just have to kind of get through. Um, so, you know, that was, that was how I, I felt, but only because it was such a physical, uh, mm beast that I was going through, which isn't, which isn't the same for everybody. Like so, some people's chemotherapy is a bit shorter. Uh, sometimes it's not as evasive. It's not as, you know, uh, 
it doesn't take so much out of uh, the the patient. But my specific chemotherapy treatment, my doctor said this is by far one of the most difficult, most grueling chemotherapy treatments out there, and one of the longest. They're like, but you're young, and it's very, very effective, like ninety five percent effective. So if you can just get through it, you know, you'll you'll come out the other side. That was kind of what the hope was. That was yeah. what the you know, and of course things can go sideways at any second, but I really hung on to that the whole it, time. It, just, you know. In the, um, in, in like the, in the context of it being such a long, I mean, fuck two years and physically grueling, like, and just what chemo does to you. And especially when you're starting out, like, and you mentioned already that four months before you, before you develop this relationship, mm-hmm. um, like that, that was an eternity. And I, I think about, um, it makes me think about, and the, the way that I the, the way that I think about that and relate to that experience is is some of a, I'm a cyclist and like some of the some of like the hardest things I've ever done on a bike that are long and grueling. Like I, I, I biked to the top of a volcano on Maui a few weeks ago and it was the biggest biggest thing I have big, like, on was, VR. Yeah, he really just sits on his couch. No, it was yeah. IRL. It's a whole it was, like it was IRL. It's a whole thing. It was IRL. Anyway, we just let him go on with it. <laughs> and and it was and it, and it was it was the hardest it was the hardest physical feet that I've that I've ever done it was 50 kilometers going uphill once you get below above a certain altitude there's no fucking oxygen you start, like I really did feel like I was gonna fucking keel over and die and and by the time I felt like I was gonna keel over and die I was still way far away from getting to the top and so like the way that my brain starts to think about overcoming this is going okay I just need to start breaking this into like way smaller chunks like I can't start thinking about the top. I got to start thinking about getting 10 minutes up the road right now. Because if I start thinking about an hour up the road or two, which is ultimately how long it's going to take from where I am now, I'm going to quit. Like I'm going to just hang it up because I can't, I, my brain can't handle that right now. Um, like, is there a, is there a sense of this two year journey of like just breaking it up into these bite-sized chunks that are manageable that you can like set a goal. Like I'm just going to get here. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's how I, that's how I, I broke it all up. So like it was a four phase treatment plan. So the first phase was like seven days in the hospital, just dousing me with chemo. So I was like, okay, well if I can get, I got to get out of this hospital. So my first goal, they said eight to 10 days, you're going to be here. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it in seven. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why or whatever, but I, I was just like, okay. And so, and then every, every day, you know, I, I would just try to get to that first goalpost. It's like running a marathon, just like you said, just like biking or whatever, um, or, or getting in the ring and doing each round of boxing or whatever. But it's like, okay, I got through the hospital phase. Cool. Now I'm back home and I'm going to start doing radiation and spinal taps and this whole other phase that is going to last for a month. Now I got to get through this month and, but, but I'm not going to just get through the whole month. I'm going to get through each hour of each day. And I'm going to make sure my, <laughs> I had a very like pills at this time. Then I got to take these pills and it's dinner. Then it's, you know, da, da, da. so I, I, I really mapped it out like that. Like as if just one foot ahead of the other, mm-hmm. one second at a time, one minute at a time, one hour at a time, one day at a time. And I did that the whole way, uh, the whole way through. Um, and, and it, it, and I, I'd say by the third phase, the third phase was the longest phase of my treatment. And that was a, a, also a very grueling, grueling phase as well. 
Um, it wasn't until I got to like the maintenance phase of my chemotherapy that I was a little bit more like, oh, I can maybe make a plan with somebody to like mm. do something. And, and, you know, which was like totally <laughs> weird to me by then because it had been over a year. And I was just like, but I still had to take it very slowly. And, and, but that that's how I did it. My dad did it just like you biked up that, that, uh, that mountain, that volcano. Right? And you know, what's you know, what's funny is that like, I, I, I have, I'm not really, I haven't really thought about this until just now, but like, um, I, I go, Oh, you know, I, I've just sort of come up with that strategy while I'm doing it mm. and it helps me get to it. But then I kind of don't really apply or maybe I do subconsciously, but like, I don't, I don't necessarily consciously apply that same strategy to the other hard shit that I go through in my life, which is plenty, you know, <laughs> like, and I probably, and I'm sure I should <laughs> like, was there any, was there any takeaway in that way? Like conscious takeaway, like, Oh, like I can do this. If I do this here and this helps me do this, can I do it? You know, can I apply this to anywhere else? I mean, I like it's such a helpful, it's such a helpful attitude for all the hard shit that we go through. Uh, yeah, I, I, I was, while I was actually going through treatment and this is going to sound a little bit morbid, but I was like, I think everybody should have to experience this, it, which just because of how much of a learning, uh, tool it is just so you really put life into perspective and like what really matters. And you kind of realize that, you know, two years of time, it's, it's a really long amount of time. And if we were to just like break up everything that we need to do that we think is difficult, if we were to just like break it down into these smaller little pieces um, and move forward slowly, but people are like, Oh, it's going to take too long. It's like, no, if you do little things that are pretty easy to do, there's this one book called the slight edge, which I'm kind of, talking about but that i didn't read the book before treatment or anything like that but it's mm -hmm. like if you just do these small things it's actually really easy to do but they're also easy not to do but if you just kind of put those little things into into motion like reading 10 pages a day of a book mm -hmm. after a month you've read a book you know what i mean after a year you've read 12 like if you just do these little little things you've you you can accumulate so much stuff in actually not that long of a period of time mm -hmm. um and it's but, really just a mental shift like that's all it is yeah, yeah, totally. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl. Let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. In terms of the the treatment protocol, after that 2 years, um where were you? Like, you know, was it, was it, I, I take, I mean, you're still here with us today. I, I take it. It was, it, it was successful. Um, but was there, was there much more to treatment after those, those two like grueling years? Um, or, or was it like those two years and then, and then you were looking at sort of like a routine sort of scan every once in a while, just to make sure things were going the way that they should be. Yeah. It was very much like that. It was, uh, wow. two years to the day where it was like, okay, you're done. Wow. And, Holy and you're fuck. Like, okay. So I'm not coming back next week for treating. They're like, nope, that's it. 
I'm like, so I'm not going to see you. And there was this weird like moment of like, I'm going to miss. Yeah. Yeah. Gotten into this routine. Like it was like, now this is part of my life. And I get to see these nurses and these doctors, these people that I'm like, you know, making friends with and stuff. And, and there was a comfort to it, you know, even drawing my blood. It's really weird. Like it was this comfort to this, this normalcy and this routine. And at one point I was like, I can sustain this. Like I can sustain this type of life if I had to, but then they're like, you're done. And I was like, Oh, okay. Uh, so then they're like, we'll see you in, in every month for the next like six months just to do blood work. And then we'll see you every, every like three months and then every six months and then every mm-hmm. year for 10 years. So I did 10 years of these, like these checkups, but it's just blood work and like, how are you feeling? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. and I'd be like, yeah, feeling good. Blood work looks good. Okay. See you guys. And see you next time. Yeah. What, time, you know? Like, I'm so curious what the following week after that sort of moment looks like when you're yeah, like, you're like a re- oh, like, fuck, what do I do now? Yeah, you like one of those, like, 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 you know, our, 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 like your dad, like, retires soon and, and then just goes, ah, fuck. I, like, I don't, I don't know what to do with my time. I don't know what to do with my life. You know, like that common, like, like retiree sort of cloudy, what the fuck yeah. happens? Or pr- like a prisoner getting out of jail. Yeah, right. You know? like, yeah, you're, right. Just, you're just like, holy yeah. shit, the, the life that I've known is no longer. Yeah. There, there was a lot of that. I think what, what uh, helped me was that about, you know, eight months into my treatment, I was really <laughs> starting to focus on um, writing my show and performing yeah. Yeah. a solo show uh, that, that I was like, hey, if I, if I beat this thing, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to perform it. And then while I was going through treatment, I was like, I think I need to just perform it now, like while I'm going through in case anything happens, like at least I, I said I could I could do that. And so I ended up performing my show about 14 months into treatment. And um, and it was something to like work towards. And it was like it was like this thing that then when I was done treatment, I was like, OK, I gotta wait till all the swelling in my face comes back down. I gotta try to get back into some sort of shape, but I knew I wanted to get back into the, into the business and I was going to continue on with my acting journey, um, and comedy journey, but, and the show really helped me, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, see that through and, and see that vision and and continue to, to pursue it. But there was definitely. Yeah, you just need to get that uh, that that pirate physique back before you. Yeah, could, yeah, like, yeah. I was yeah, like, I went back. But hey, guys, knock on the door. Uh, <laughs> you guys want me back? They're like, no, we're good. So the the show uh, the show that we're talking about here, um, it was a Canadian comedy award winning one person uh, show titled "Cancer Can't Dance Like This." Um, tell us about the process of putting that together, like you know, where, where did you get the idea to start creating that show? And what was the evolution of creating it, you know, of writing a one man show? I mean, for, for people who, who, for people who aren't aware, a, a one man show is such a feat. Like it is such a fucking thing to do. If you go, if you, you know, if you're, if you're someone who's familiar with theater and you, you know, you go, you go to Neptune theater to see, um, you know, whatever Rocky horror picture show, well, the people who are, you know, the leads of that show, they're on stage for the majority of the show, but they get these little breaks and they get to go backstage and they get to fucking rest their voice and they get to change their clothing. And they, a one man show, dude, you are out there. There's no cuts. You're there the whole time. You've got a fuckload of dialogue. It's like, 
And your it, performance doesn't lean on anybody else. No, it's just you. It's just you. Like it's a really, yeah. it's a really admirable and scary thing uh, for an actor to think about. But uh, so kudos to you for that. But you know, the process of creating one, mm-hmm. you know, doing one, but let alone creating it yourself. That's it's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people like they they like to make fun of one person shows like totally. Oh, yeah. You're gonna do a solo show for me. Um, but uh I um so before I was diagnosed with cancer, I had gotten into the fringe, the Toronto Fringe uh festival, and I was gonna do a solo show there. Um and then as I was rehearsing it, I got diagnosed obviously with, with cancer and I was like, guys, I can't do it. We we bailed out of the out of the fringe festival. And so I always kind of had this dream of actually doing it. And then when I had an opportunity to be like, okay, I think I have enough physical strength to get back on stage, but what story do I want to tell? Uh, the only thing I know right now, and the only thing that I've been living is this goddamn cancer journey. And I want to tell this story and I was, and I wanted it to be funny. Like the biggest thing was I just wanted it to be funny because I found so much dark, weird humor in cancer, just how crazy it was. And so I just started writing. I had these characters in mind. I, I do a lot of character comedy and a lot of physical stuff. Um, and I was like, okay, so how, and so I started to just like, be like, what if I represent these lost attributes to cancer as, as people, right? Like, and so my hair, I played my hair, I played my appetite. I played my strength. I played my Ooh. sex drive as these characters. And then I played cancer And then they all were kind of woven together into these monologues of what it was like living on Dan before cancer. And then what it was like living with Dan after cancer or during cancer and treatment. And, uh, and then it was, it ends with this big epic dance off with cancer. I was like, I'm going to outdance cancer in the end. And it's going to be this huge thing. Cause I was a huge, uh, I was a huge Michael Jackson fan uh, back in the day, uh, before the whole. <laughs> um, and, and I could move, man. I could move. I could do the moonwalk and all that kind of stuff. And uh, there's this big, like, dance off of cancer in the end. Spoiler alert, but I'm not doing the show anymore, so I can tell you. But, uh, and, that, and, that, and, and it was this epic. It was this big, fun show that I wanted to put on. And I wanted to do it once, one time only, and be like, I'm done. I just wanted to make the audience laugh and and kind of get some insight as to what you really go through when you're going through cancer. And, um, and it was a huge success. Like it was a huge, huge, huge success that I, I couldn't even like imagine that happening. I, I, I only, again, I only wanted to do it once, but the people in the audience were like, you have to take this uh, wherever you can take it. And it just kind of snowballed. And mm-hmm. what an what, incredible like reintroduction into into like the work that you loved and wanted to do and had obviously mm-hmm. been forced to take a break from. Mm-hmm. I, I'm curious, um, you know, like I think it's maybe a little bit more obvious to the three of us of why that would connect and resonate with so many people. But like in your words, what do you think it was that made that your your show resonate and connect with so many people that they, you know, would encourage you to, to take that everywhere? I think it was the fact that I was uh, uh, honest and raw and like i i didn't hold back any punches like uh, and i i think a lot of people thought oh i'm gonna go watch this guy's cancer show oh my god i don't want to do this but i have to because you know he's my friend or whatever you know like and he wants to do his show and then they came and they 
they, I think we're pleasantly surprised that it wasn't this like, oh, woes me, you know, show about this is what I went through. But it was this laugh out loud, funny comedy that was taking punches at myself and like, and, and what I was going through, but also opening people's eyes to what um, someone with cancer goes through. So I think it was just the, the raw honesty of it all. And, mm. and, you know, a different perspective on, on what, what it's like to go through. Uh, cancer. I'm really curious what, which lost attribute character is the most beloved by the crowd. <laughs> uh, it's probably, probably my, uh, it, it would change from show to show. Some people would, would love my, uh, my sex drive. <laughs> uh, but I don't think my sex drive could play in, in today's world. It's very, uh, <laughs> it's very, um, times have changed. Times have changed. Yeah. So I had, kind of, I had to kind of like adapt the show over 10 years, you know, a little bit. I'm like, oh, I probably shouldn't say that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'd say my hair, you know, this, this curly, I played as this Italian barber. His name is a couple capelli. And he said, then you like, Hey, and he, uh, you know, it's, it's like very virtual like, barber. Yeah. <laughs> but again, like, you know, I don't know. Is that too stereotypical? Do I get in trouble for that? <laughs> hey, you're Italian. You can yeah, do it. I know. Yeah, you're right? Italian. It's all good. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Uh, it's literally my uncle that I'm playing. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I think that was those, those, those characters resonated the most, but even my appetite too. I mean, I, I think they were all fun characters uh, to, to play. And I think everybody knew I was kind of taking the piss out of, yeah. out of, out of everything. So mm-hmm. um yeah. Did you did you find it challenging to to like to to drudge up the humor that existed within the the experience of cancer, um, or or do you feel like it came quite naturally to you in the process of creating the show? I think it came. I think it came uh, pretty naturally. I wasn't like trying to find. It's weird. I wasn't like trying to be like, how can I make this funny? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just like, I was just like, well. All I have to do is tell the story and tell it in my own, my own way. And then find the, like, find the, like, uh, what's the word? Like, oh, that's ironic or that's weird, you know, <laughs> and then just call it out. Uh, and, and it, it, and it was funny. I don't, I don't really know how to, how to explain it. I've, I, Cause I've gotten this question a, a, like a lot about, you know, how do you make something like cancer funny? And it's not about making cancer funny. It's mm-hmm. about, it's about coming along on the journey with me and, and laughing with me on this, this journey. There's a lot of moments in the show that are, that are real and that are not funny and people are in tears and they're, you know, they're, they're, uh, you know, feeling the reality of what, what going through, through treatment is as as well. Cause I read from my journal Mm. and there's some real, you know, real heartfelt moments in there, but then I, then I pop it back up with, this big character and this like this this monologue that's that that's humorous mm-hmm. in the way that it's written um and that's kind of how i did it i think it was just like flipping the script back and forth and mm-hmm. and people wanted to laugh like it was like i i, I you know it's like i i gotta laugh now because it's mm. it um it reminds me of like it it's this the last few the last number of minutes just like talking about talking about the show and like infusing comedy into the show and having it be funny and, and people and pe- and, and the, what you said about people's most, uh, uh, probably a common 
um, pre-show sentiment about what they're going to see. Like, oh god, I'm going to see the I'm going to see the cancer show. Like, fuck, this is going to be a bummer. But like, I'm going to go see it. <laughs> and like, and and just the way that the way that when we started this show and when we started doing this show, that was like that was that was what the question that we got all the time was like, mm-hmm. what the fuck you're doing a comedy podcast about what oh. it's like to be sick. You know, like how somebody, the fuck does that work? And it's like, and somebody did reach out specifically and say, said like, there's nothing funny about yeah. cancer. And we said pretty much well, exactly <laughs> what you said. Like, yeah, like cancer isn't funny, but like, but like at the same time, you know, I, I think what, I think what people fail to understand and rightfully so, because they, if they haven't gone through cancer, then they don't know. I mean, Mm-hmm. Um, and I only say it because I've talked to so many people with cancer and we do this, we do this show, but like, I think the average person thinks about going through cancer from their perspective of having not cancer, of not having mm-hmm. had cancer. So like cancer to them is like only sad because they go, if I had cancer, that would suck. Mm-hmm. And the idea of having cancer would suck, mm-hmm. but people who have cancer have to live their life with it. It's like, you're not just, you're not just cancer when you get a di- <laughs> cancer diagnosis. Like you got to go to the hospital, you got to do all your shit, but then like, you also have to be you and like, yes, cancer influences that and everything, but like, you're still living a life and like existing forward in time as a person. And everybody is living an existence that has humor come up within it, even when shitty stuff is happening. And and I think that that's what this show does. I think it's obviously what your show, what your show did, was aiming to do, and what people ultimately find it does when they, when they see it. And then I think it is ultimately <laughs> like so educational and important and illuminating for the average person to go like, ah, mm-hmm. right, of course, because like I think once you once you put it out there, it's it's obvious once it's out there. But before the fact, it's very hard to wrap your head around how how there could be humor there. Yeah, you're you're absolutely nailing. It. Yeah, that's constantly been the thing that you know I was up against. And when I when I saw your show, I was you know, you know reading what the show's about, and and I'm like, this is this is it. It's the perfect like, you know, uh, they're doing the they're doing it. They're doing the thing that they should be doing. <laughs> um, but but I'm like, it's a tough. I don't want to use the word sell, but it's a tough sell. Cancer's a tough like it's like you know trying to get people to jump on board. And usually, what would happen is. I would do the show and people would say, you got to do it again. Cause I'm going to bring 10 people. Mm. The next and that would, that's how it kind of snowballed. And then it just like, kind of like went that way. And then those people would see it and be like, Oh my goodness, I'm so glad I came. Da, da, da. I'm going to share this with this, that, the other, the problem was, is that I was only doing like one-off shows. I would just do it once. Cause I was like still going through treatment. I was like sick. And I was like, I'm not going to do a whole crazy. run. Yeah, <laughs> you know? I just didn't have it in me. So I was like, okay, I'll, I'll just do one. And then, and I was doing it all, like producing it and, and all that kind of stuff. So it was hard to, mm. you know, do that, but they, it just sort of naturally kind of happened. Uh, I never really forced it. I wasn't trying to make it a part of, you know, uh, who I was or what I was doing. I just did it. And if people wanted, if it seemed like there was a, there was a, uh, enough, interest in it happening again i would do it just keep doing it yeah yeah and i know that you raised um uh, a decent amount of money for health related charities and organizations across canada doing your work um how how many times did you do the show how much money did you raise and and was that you know was that kind of part of the plan no no i mean there's no there there was no plan i think that was (laughs) the thing there was zero plan it wasn't like you know 
yeah, again, it wasn't like I'm gonna I'm gonna be this brand where I'm gonna make this this thing. It was just like uh, again, it just happened organically. But but what would happen is uh, these uh, you know charitable organizations would would there would be somebody in the audience who worked for for one undoubtedly, and then they they they'd say, hey, uh, would you be interested in performing it at our conference, or would you be interested in performing at our fundraiser? You know, we'll set it up, and the, and so we're in Vancouver. Can you come to Vancouver? I ended up doing the show sixty. Uh, produced a show over 60 times in every major city in Canada. And we, uh, by, by doing that, we helped raise over a hundred thousand dollars for cancer related research and charities and organizations. And, um, but to me, I always found like the biggest value was the reaction from the audience. It was never the dollar value that it raised or any of that kind of stuff. It was always the, the one person in the audience. If it was just one person who would come up to me afterwards and just be like, that resonated with me so much. My my father or my mother is going through this and you just gave me so much hope. Whatever it was, that was the thing that kept me going after every time I, I did the show. So I, I imagine I imagine the process of writing and performing it was was very cathartic. And I, I think of my mom had a bladder cancer a number of years ago. And one thing that she said to me that that has always stuck with me was that the hardest part part for her was not the physical treatment, but it was the emotional toll that it took and the and the recovery afterwards. Like like even that the the example that you or the the moment in time where you talked about, you know, finishing your treatment and then and then like that being it. Now you're just going back for all these checkups. Mm-hmm. Um like the, the treatment, I mean the recovery process doesn't end there. There's a huge mental health piece that happens afterwards. Uh, but I'm curious, like being you know, a young guy, um, when you're going into that phase of recovery and, and performing, um, this one man show that's about your experience and, and what, in which I, again, I imagine to be really cathartic. I'm curious how that affected your mental health recovery, um, after treatment was done. Well, in this, in this interesting way, it, it was as if I was, getting to do some sort of therapy every three months, every six months, every time I did the show, because I got to talk to an audience and tell them my story, you know, and, and like, and it was a version of my story. It wasn't every part of my story. It wasn't everything that I went through, but it was like, it were the, it was the big pieces of like, of my experience. And the laughter was like healing, you know, Mm -hmm. like to, to hear the laughter and to, uh, you know, feel that energy from the audience. Um, and to know that you're having that kind of impact was super cathartic for me. And it was super like, um, beneficial, you know, I think, but then I think there got to a a point with, with doing the show that I was like, okay, uh, I don't think like, I I was like, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Like, I don't know if I want to keep, keep sharing this, um, this story. So after like four or five years, I, um, I retired the show. I was like, I'm not going to do it anymore. But then I, I quickly realized that, you know, um, it was no, it was, it, it, it wasn't about me, you know, it was, it was about, uh, uh, you know, helping, helping other people and giving them hope and stuff. And so I was like, it felt, and that felt really good too. So there was this kind Ooh. of like, that's tough. That's a tough crossroads. Yeah, it's like an interesting, uh, interesting uh, crossroads there. So, 
Um, but now I've, I've, I've really, you know, 10 years, it's been 12 years, um, you know, 15 years since I was diagnosed. I've, I've really removed myself from the, the, the trauma of, of it. And I, um, and I feel really fortunate that I'm able to share my story still to this day with people. And like, that's a, it's a part of who I am. You know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, a cancer survivor. I, I carry around, I still carry it around with me every day. I, I probably talk about it, you know, every day I, I think about it, not in a bad way. You know, um, I, I, I try to carry it with me in a, in a positive way when I'm like just going through some, some crap or whatever, I can always look back and say, Hey, you know, uh, it's been worse. There was that time when you did this and there was that time when you were, you know, uh, you know, going through treatment or whatever. And, and, uh, I can always look back and reflect and put life into perspective, uh, pretty quickly. So, uh, so yeah, it's a part, it's, I, I kind of, um, um, took ownership of it again, I guess. In that, in that vein of, of everything that you just said and of, of being somebody who is now 15 years removed from their diagnosis and, and, and I guess 12 or 13 years removed from, um, your treatment. Um, you know, like you just said, it's a part of you. You carry it around every day in some way. Like when comparatively to the, to the person that is the 25 year old, you just like prior to your diagnosis, who's walking around going, I'm invincible. Like I can, mm. you know, this isn't like, I, I'm not going to get sick. I'm not going to, what nothing's going to happen to me. I'm on top of the world. I'm 25 years old. Mm. What does, you know, how, how, how does the mindset change even after such a long period of time being um, free from your, from your cancer uh, in terms of like the feeling of, 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 and I uh, fuck, I, hope, I don't, I hope this, I, I feel like I always kind of th- hope that I don't trigger some, some, someone to think a certain way, but like, and I don't think I will. I think it's just a careful, it's just, it's careful. Just, it's just a, it's just a mental thing that I just can't turn off. But you know, do you, do don't you, do an do, Italian accent here, Taylor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fucking relax, dude. Do you a thing. And, uh, uh, <laughs> 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 um, uh, <laughs> you know, do you, do you, <laughs> do you ever think like, are you ever thinking in the back of your mind? Like, is this the day that I, is this the day that I might get cancer again? Or Ooh, like, do you, wow. do you, do you live with, do you live with that fear that like it happened once it could happen again? And I'm just curious of like, cause yeah. We, yeah. That's we, a fair, that's a totally uh, fair question. No, I don't. I, uh, I, yeah. I don't wake up every day thinking, you know, or not even every day, but whatever. The only time I will start to get those twinges of like, oh shit is if I feel off or like some, like if I have a cold again, like anytime I get a cold or like, if like it feels like a bit of a different cough or cold, mm-hmm. um, I always go like, okay, let's just see how this goes. Mm. Um, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll feel my balls more than I think a lot of people do. Cause I don't know, like I just, so I, I do have, you know, I'll check my armpits every once in a while, I'll check my neck, mm, right, you know, yeah. so and I, I do that kind of stuff. Um, but I really, I really think I, I, I kicked it. Like, I really think I kicked it. And if I am going to get cancer again, anybody can get, I feel like I'm back in the boat of anybody can get it, Yeah. you know, yeah. like I, and so I don't feel like I'm in the, at a higher 
chance of getting it, even though statistically I yeah. probably am, but I don't, I don't think of it that way. You're did, not the person on the plane. That's like irrationally thinking that it's going to go down. No. Did, no, but exactly. did, did it take a while for you to get that way? Like was, or like as soon as they were like, you're better, that's just kind of the way it's been since. Yeah. That, know, yeah. It was, it was, it was more just like, okay, I did that. I yeah. did my time. Like I'm done. It was more of like a, just a stubbornness, which has yeah. no, there's no like reason for it, but that's just the mindset that I, that I, that I have where I'm just like, I'm so stubborn that it is done because I said it's done. You know, funny I mean, enough, I, I, funny enough, we were just talking about this like an hour ago or well, we've been talking for an hour. So it was more than, it was an hour and a half ago. Um, and <laughs> talking about mindset and I, I was listening to, I'm not going to say the name. Oh, I'm not going to say the name. You're listening you. to a podcast. Peter to, and Ken. I was listening to a podcast. Anyway, they were talking <laughs> about they were talking about physiology. They're talking about mindset. So Ask a question: Can your mindset? How much of an impact, if any, can your mindset have on your actual physiology, like the way that your body responds? And they referenced these two studies that were done, where which basically said, um, one one was essentially um, this it was, uh, the this, the 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 style or the way that the study was put together was insane. So they, they gave one group of people, they gave everybody milkshakes hmm. and that half the group, they said, it brought the milkshake. They brought the boys to the yard, but <laughs> the right. other half <laughs> didn't right. bring that's right. the boys that's to right. the yard. The, the boys, the boys didn't go to the, right. the other one. Right. So they gave, they gave everybody a milkshake and half the group, they said, here's what's in the milkshake. And they were, they were honest, you know, this like, you know, fatty, delicious, bad for you milkshake. And to the other half, they said, here's this milkshake, you know, the ingredients are all, you know, organically sourced and everything's low fat and blah, 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 blah. blah. But it wasn't. They lied to them. It was the same milkshake. Mm-hmm. And the, the group that they lied to didn't like the, the, and, they, and they gave them to him like, oh, like uh, regularly, like every day over a period of time, like to, to like the amount that should make you gain weight. Sure. Um, or have some type of like change in terms of like how they what what it shows up in your blood work, mm-hmm. and the people that they gave that they told that they lied to had like a like a like a statistically relevant uh, not as much shit because they were like and they and and it was all down to the mindset so like the I people am, that they lied to didn't gain didn't gain weight in the same way as the people they were honest and, and with. honestly I can't remember if it was a weight gain thing or if it was like a blood marker thing but but it was but it was essentially like there was an observable difference between the two groups based on the way that but what by what they on it but what by what they really thought they were consuming mm-hmm. and and so just to say that like and obviously no oncologist is going to be like we're going to prescribe like a positive mindset and like six rounds of chemo but like yeah. A positive mindset is it is worth something and it's apparently anywhere from 8 to 20% of like a physiological change hmm. with your mindset which is fascinating that your mind just that your mind can have any difference <clears throat> any statistically noticeable yeah. difference is just fascinating. Yeah. I I and but I mean it's something that we've he, we've heard fucking over and over and over and over yeah. again it, like the mind body connection is just like it's beyond what we actually know. It's beyond what, like, it's beyond what science knows. The the power of it is, it you know, there's still so much to to learn about that. Um, but you know, people, it, it's said the, the for good reason. Thing. Yeah, the, the the hard thing with that, especially when dealing with someone like who's going through treatment or any sort of chronic illness, is that's like the last thing they want to hear. 
Exactly. Right? Yeah. You know, like just be positive. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, yeah. I'm yeah, fuck you. Yeah, I mean, like put yourself in my shoes. Like, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it, 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 it feels like a slap in the face. Yeah. yeah it's a little bit. Yeah. It's like, I, I remember one time specifically, you know, I was puking into a toilet. And and my my mom was like, just be positive. I'm like, I can't. <laughs> go, to your, go to your happy yeah, place. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah put I'm on like, a big smile and puke through those teeth, honey. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's hard to stay. You know, it's hard to just like. Um, it's hard for I think someone to digest that when they're going through all this mm-hmm. stuff and yeah. be like, okay, yeah. just your mindset. It's all about your mindset. But I agree a hundred percent, and I think that's helped me a lot post treatment. Uh, is my, my mindset and mentality like, um, going forward for sure. Um, I know that you took the, you took the, um, the one person show, the cancer can't dance like this and, and, um, kind of pared it down into a, a, a a smaller act. Um, cancer makes you gangster. Great name. Um, and like, where, where are you, are you performing that currently? I know the lat like the last performance of, of cancer can't dance like this was in 2019 at the great hall to a soul to sold out great hall. Like that's a, that's kind of a fucking big deal. Last I went to the great hall. Last time I was at the great hall, I saw justice. Uh, and that was back in like, that was back in like the cross days of justice. And that place is, uh, to sell that place out. Yeah. That's a big deal. That's, yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's pretty crazy. It's a good show. It was a good, I it must've been <laughs> that was a very good. Yeah. Um, so you retired that, but you turned it into uh, cancer makes you gangster. So are you still doing that? Are you still doing that smaller act? Yeah. Yeah. So I've been, you know, I've been asked to go to, uh, you know, conferences <laughs> during the pandemic though. It's hard to do live. It was hard to do live shows, you know, anywhere, but, and their things are just sort of kind of picking up again. And basically I just, I just stripped it down and, um, and told the story a, a different way, a little bit of a different way. And, and the biggest thing is, you know, is the cancer makes you gangster uh, bit, which is, it's just about how cancer turns you into somebody who doesn't give a fuck basically. And like, you know, no fucks given, this is how I'm going to live my life now. I had cancer. So, you know, how bad, you know, like, like I'm going to, I'm going to do whatever I want. It's that kind of mentality. Um, and that's the message and and I, that I take to these you know, conferences and usually because what I found out too very quickly is conferences aren't really set up for like big theater shows. They're kind of like, you know, um, tables at a dining at a yeah. hall or whatever. Yeah, so I, I really wanted to stuffy. turn it into, yeah, I want to turn more of like a, a talk kind of thing, even though I never really wanted to be a, a speaker. So I still, I still infuse a lot of like performance elements from the show, but then I've added, uh, you know, elements from being a 10 year, uh, survivor and what that looks like looking back on my treatment. Um, and then I take elements from my book, from my memoir that I just wrote and, and infuse that as well. So mm-hmm. and the memoir is uh, the comedian versus cancer. The show must go on. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, when did you publish the book? Uh, last uh, January of 20, uh, uh, last year, 2022. Cool. And, and like, you know, what, just, just from like a create curiosity from like a creative What's the, you know, how would you stack up the, the, the process of writing a book to writing a one man show? Ah, two totally different beasts. Yeah. A book I do not recommend. I do not recommend. Yeah. 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 Uh, it's, it's a, it was a lot of, a lot of work, a lot of work, but it was a lot of work that I enjoyed doing. Cause it wasn't like I was trying to write an original, uh, like fictional mm-hmm. book. You know what I mean? Stories. I was, yeah. It was, it's my story. So I was able to kind of 
really get it all out on the paper. And then it was just about like constantly going over it and editing it and trying to find out what the best, you know, order of chapters mm -hmm. and, and like, and, um, uh, but it was one of those things I, I wasn't, my intention again was never to write a memoir again. It was never to do this <laughs> show or do any of this stuff, I, but, but it, it was just like, I, I had been writing a bunch of stuff while I was actively going through treatment. I was kind of just writing my my story out just in case again if anything happens I can always look back or mm -hmm. I can give this story to, to my, my family or whatever um and and then the pandemic happened and I was like well I have uh you know 250 pages of of my story on, on paper let's see if I can really dive in and uh and and publish this thing and then and, uh, and do it I ended up self-publishing the book after many cancer doesn't sell you know mm -hmm. nobody wants to read your book about being funny <laughs> you know, that's kind of stuff so i was like all right well i'll show you so i uh i, I self-published it and um and uh yeah i've been very happy with uh, with the response and what and what people have uh have said and, and it's great because i get to tell my full story in this book right mm -hmm. as opposed to the one hour version on stage which is you know it's a broad strokes fun experience whereas this book is there's it's funny but it's also like this is the full this is the full uh story and it's a, and it's a it's a it's a it's a good story you know yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as an actor and as a as a as a comedian as a writer as i was living it i was like man this is a good story mm. like it's awful that it's happening to me but it's a good but it's a you know from if i take an outside perspective of this it's a it's an interesting story. It's an interesting No tale. mean feet to uh, look outside <laughs> of yourself. <laughs> yeah. I, I wanted to, uh, Daniel, I wanted to ask one last uh, question. I mean, we've, we've like probably talked around this topic the, the entire time to some extent, but uh, the idea of like, I mean, the thing that makes cancer so scary is that it will, it can kill you. And yeah. so um, I'm curious, like how your, it, or if your perspective on your own mortality change or how it changed through the course of your treatment and then beyond? So, you know, in the beginning, obviously scared as all, as all heck, as all fuck. I was like, I, I'm too young to die. I, I, I'm just not ready to go. Um, and I was terrified. Obviously I was every night I was being visited by like, you know, I had these moments where I was like, I was being visited by death. Like I would have these visions of like, you know, this weird creature being like, I'm coming for you. And so it was weird. I think it was the drugs. Like, I think it was like the, <laughs> the chemo that I was on, but it was, it was terrifying. Um, but then as I started to go through treatment, I got to a point where I was like, you know what? I, I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay to go. If I have to go, you know, like I, I, I got to this place where it was pretty dark, but, but at the same time I was like, you know, that's life. Everybody has their, their thing. And some people, you know, live past 25. Some people don't. And that was, that's was where I was at. And then, um, and then as I was starting to see the light and I was coming through on the other, other side of things, I was like, okay, uh, you know, like, uh, what did I learn from this? You know, like, what did I, what can I, what can I take from this into this new life? Cause it did feel like two lives. It feel, it felt like a, this old chapter of, of what I was doing up to that 25 year old, this, two-year treatment and then 
who am I from 27, 28 on to the rest of my life? Um, and now, you know, I'm a father. I had a, I had a daughter uh, two years ago. She's two years old. And so now there's this new sort of like perspective of mortality, right? Where I'm like, I can't, I can't go anywhere. You know, I have this, this, like this, this little yeah. girl to like live for and stuff like that. But, but, you know, I am very much like, uh, death is a thing. It is a real part of life. And, uh, it, you know, I, I'm, uh, I am uh, much more accepting of, of, of it. I'm not, I don't fear it. Let's just put it that way. Mm. Yeah. What would you say is the biggest thing that your experience with cancer has taken away from you? Well, it's, I mean, it changed my life dramatically. It gave me a lot of things for sure. Um, but I, I guess it's, I don't know. What's it taken away from me? I think it's taken away the, uh, the the potential of of something else if that makes sense uh does that make sense mm-hmm. what would it um, like, the, like the what yeah yeah, yeah like mm-hmm. the what, the what been, if been, you know like mm-hmm. what, yeah and and that's always a weird thing to think about uh, i try not to dwell on that like uh too much but It took a, it, it's, it's a, cancer is such a weird thing. It's this gift and a curse. Like I, I hate saying that because I never thought I'd be the person to say that. I hated it. I hated everything about it. I hate cancer. I think it's a piece of shit. But then there's this like part of me was like, ah, uh, but you know, <laughs> I learned so much from it. I yeah. met my yeah. wife, you know, during treatment, or I fell in love with my wife during treatment and we would not have connected you know, and then I wouldn't have had my daughter. So there's all these things, right. Mm. That it's like, you know, so it's this weird, it's this weird, uh, um, I, I can't even describe. It. I don't really know. What would you say is the biggest thing that it's given you? Ah, uh, perspective. It's given me perspective. The biggest thing I always say is that can't just give me perspective on, on what matters in life and what's important. And, it is the it is a big teacher of of what of what matters and what we dwell on and what we you know what we think is awful and and we were and we don't see the good and then it's like well take a second take a step back think about what you went through and 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 get perspective mm-hmm. so yeah your wife's gonna be really pissed that you didn't say her. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. By my daughter. Like, what? <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't worry, we'll, we'll, we'll cut this out. We'll, 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 you want a second take? I'll fix it. Fix it. I'll fix it. <laughs> fix it post. Just retake it. Retake it. <laughs> um, Daniel, uh, th- th- I mean, this is this has been really great. Like, it's really nice to talk to you and and uh, to hear about your story and to hear how you've taken what you've gone through and. And then taking your art and like merge those two things together because I think that is one of the most like profound and beautiful pieces of artistic expression is to be able to like express yourself artistically while using the 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 hardships that you've been through as like as sort of your muse to to get that expression out and you know I think it's just really cool that you've you've been able to to do that for yourself and carve out this little like this little pocket of a show that you've you've you know had quite an effect on on a lot of people and and you know raised money and 
it's just it's a really beautiful thing so kudos to you for that um how can people stay up to date with your art and you and what you're up to uh you can uh you can follow me on uh on instagram stolfi comedy um or uh tiktok solid jams um <laughs> you can get you can get a copy of my book comedian versus cancer um uh and i'm on facebook and I'm all on social media and stuff like that so uh and i'm constantly posting so anytime that there is something going on like there's like a an event or a new show that i'm doing or uh or um something in that in that world i'm, I'm posting about it and sharing it and all that kind of stuff cool. so Cool. Well, thank you, dude. This has been uh, a real treat. It has. Well, thank you. I, I was really excited. I'm, I'm very excited to do this. And thanks for having me on. Well, there you go, folks. Hope you enjoyed that conversation. As always, we are coming at you Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And if you are a fan of the podcast and you want to support the podcast, there's a number of ways you can do that. First of all, you can leave a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts. We love reading them. You can simply rate the podcast on the Spotify mobile app, if that's where you're listening. Or if you want to join the conversation, hop on over to our Discord. The link is in the show notes of this episode. And uh, we have a lovely little community over there of sickos and non-sickos all hanging out, chatting. And uh, hey, you could even help produce the podcast over there if you want. You can, again, find that link in the show notes below. Sick Boy Podcast is produced and co-hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, and Brian Stever. The show is managed by Jeffrey Lonis over at Talent Bureau. The sound design of this episode is brought to you by Donovan the CPAP Morgan. And of course, the theme music is from the band Take Part. That is it for this week. I'm Jeremy, and this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.